time, we'll receive our offering. Before we do, Steve, would you read the background behind Softly and Tenderly? Jesus is calling. Father in heaven, we just give you thanks for calling us, calling us to relationship with you, calling us to be your servants, calling us to be your children. We thank you, Lord, that we have the privilege to give to you from what you have provided for us. Lord, use these gifts for your glory and for your honor, both now and through all eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.
Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, today we are so grateful that we can come to you as your children and basically lay our hearts wide open to you and know that you care, that you understand, you know what we need. We pray, Father, for those that we know that are battling difficulties in their life. I pray, Father God, that um, you have an understanding of life that we do not have. Your thinking is so far beyond our thinking. And Lord, it's amazing to us what you do know and what we don't know about you. And we give you praise today, Lord. I pray especially for this country and the many things that are going on, even the challenges that are being brought in trying to change things constitutionally and in the layout of the land. And I just pray, Father, that you'll bring leaders who will have clear heads and minds like the early fathers of this nation who brought clarity through the word of God and were able to piece together documents that held this country together with your laws and your rules. I pray, Father God, too, for our president, for Congress, for the judicial branch. All these are important threads that keep balance. And I ask you, Lord, that they will continue to keep balance. We pray also, too, Father God, for those in our membership um, that are going through difficulties. I pray especially for our denomination right now and the many different challenges that are ahead of us. Living in an age where things have changed and culture is pressing on the church, that, Lord, we can remain faithful to the word and that we can stand for the word. We pray especially to Father God for our board that give them clarity and wisdom as they work through these situations and may they honor you in the decisions that they have for the people of this church and for your glory. We pray also, too, for those that we know that are sick amongst us. We think of our sister Lucille. We pray for continued healing for her. We thank of Frank Wonka and for his health condition, Lord, and um, some of the oxygen levels that he's continuing to drop, and also Sharon, who's struggling with her oxygen after COVID. We pray also, too, Lord, for the um, king's uh, daughter and also that grandbaby in the hospital. Pray that he'll continue to heal up so he can get out of the hospital. We thank you too for John um, and um, Emily and their new baby. We just pray for them. We pray also too for um, Mary. It was so good to see her today and also for Joyce and her back for continued healing and therapy. I pray also too for a friend uh, by the name of Reeves, that um, as he's battling cancer, I just pray that you will be with him also. For also a young man by the name of Tony who's battling addiction. I pray also for Ryan and Jordan and David and Brady and um, uh, Eric and Ricky, all these young men who are uh, in difficulty, Lord, and are challenged that you give them the strength. 
We also pray for Howard, Lord, after he had his cancer surgery on his head. Um, be with healing for his, bo- for his body, for Betty, who's going to have her knee looked at tomorrow. Pray for my cousin Tommy, who preached last Sunday but was very weak afterwards, and I pray to continue to be with his liver, that it will continue to be accepted by his body, and that his kidneys will function properly. I pray also for Susie and some of the struggles that she has. I pray also, too, Father God, for a situation, Lord, that you know about. I pray for victory for this brother in Christ and that he'll be exonerated and that, Lord, he can get back to work. Just be with him and his family as they go through and be with his daughter too, Lord. I pray for a healing for her also. And Father, we bring other things to you, God. Um, I pray, Lord, that uh, you'll be with Don as he goes for surgery on his back. Uh, Be with him, Lord. Hear our prayers as we lift up people from our minds, Lord, that we need help for. And now, Father God, speak to us through your word. Help us to hear what we need to hear. Help us to, Lord, really exonerate you and find joy in following you and being obedient and finding the relief that we need. And it's through you, Jesus Christ, we pray this. Amen. Humility is not a very popular thing in our society. You can go to seminars and you can go also to valedictorian events as graduations will be coming up and even diversity seminars and core values and one of them sometimes misses its humility. And today Peter brings us humility. You know, you can go into a B. Dalton or Barnes and Noble to all the self-help books And I would bet any dollar that you would have a hard time finding a book on humility. And yet it's so critical. In fact, the Star Tribune had written an editorial capturing what asphyxiates humility in our society. And what has happened is man has become so sophisticated, it said, that we don't need God. We are so much in control that humility can't survive. Part of it has to do with our view of God. There's some who don't believe in God and that we don't need God because now we're pretty high up. Even too now the progressive Christians that are taking, trying to push themselves into the Christian viewpoint are seeing that, well, the Bible needs more help because we're much smarter now, which is false teaching. And so the atmosphere oftentimes in our society is hostile to humility. But the Bible here today, as Peter is ministering to these people who've been persecuted and are going through difficulties in life and being very much challenged, that the Christ-centered relief that we all need every day and the challenges that we face and the challenges that the people faced in that day comes Through an attitude of humility. In fact, Peter says it's essential in our society for Christian life 
to have humility. A.W. Tozer once said in a very brilliant statement, he said, what you think about God, most important thing in your life. And he was true. And what we find here today that Peter gives us three things. He said that our dealings with each other, especially younger men towards the elders in society, need to be humble. To accept good teaching from those who are mature. He said that we also need humility in dealing with our relationships with each other. We see that in marriages, and that's why marriages are blowing up, because there's a lack of humility, and I think my way is better than yours. And then also to be blessed by God, we need this humility. Look at what Peter says. He says, younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. And all of you, clothe yourself with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And four incentives Peter gives us in this, these imperatives. He says to us, if you want God fighting against you and you want him giving you a hard time, then you live a prideful life. If you want grace in your life, then be humble. Let God give you what you don't deserve. And that comes with humility. He says, if you want to be exalted in your life, the way it comes is through humility towards God. He will lift you up. And again, he says, if you want God to care for you, he says, be humble. In order to get that grace, in order to be overcoming anxiety in your life, you need humility. And it's amazing here today that these imperatives are so important as we go through life. And I was wrestling with this text because, you see, he talks about anxiety at the end. And you sit there and you wonder and say, how does humility connect with anxiety? And Peter gives us insight into it. Powerful. And he says to us, if you want relief from your anxious moments and your worries, you need to be humble. Now he's reminded the children of God who are in this first century receiving all this persecution. And they had a lot to worry about, didn't they? They were anxious because they could go outside and the government could grab them and put them up on a post and dip them in oil and light them on fire. And dad would no longer come home and no longer provide for the family. That, that person could be dragged at the backs of a chariot or put in the Colosseum to face the lions. Because if we remember, Nero was building his plan so he could build Rome to please him. And these people had things to worry about. But notice what Peter says. The word of God says, be humble. Do like Jesus did who emptied himself of all the glory of heaven and came down and gave himself for us and humbled himself so he could set us free. And he says, that's what it takes to respect your elders. That's what it takes 
for you to get along with each other on this society. That's what it takes to submit to God. And as you believe God, you will humble yourself. That you will put yourself below and give yourself to the Lord. You see, one of the things that happened to Lucifer, who was the top angel in heaven and that got him kicked out, was because he was prideful. He wanted to take God's place. And because of it, he was kicked out of heaven. And what we know is submission, humility, takes faith in God. It's an act of faith of trusting God that he will supply our needs. And that he'll be there for us. And he'll give us what we need. That submission comes by faith. And that we need him all the time. One of the evidences that we struggle with pride, especially when it comes to God, is when God puts us on hold. And he says, wait. And we want God to come through for us. And we're praying about a certain thing. Or we want something to happen. And we become impatient with God. Then we have to ask ourselves, have I really humbled myself before God? Am I trusting him? Or do I want it now? Jesus said it. For whosoever exalts himself will be abased. And whoever abases himself and humbles himself will be exalted. Humility is a very tricky thing. It can cause us all to stumble. And we can become too confident in who we are. Now, humility comes when we understand who God is and truly grasp by faith the grace he gives us every day. Peter says to us, clothe yourselves. And what he's talking about, put on the overhauls of humility. When Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples, and here they were sitting around and Jesus is going to teach them what they need to do. They need to serve. And Jesus clothed himself with the apron of a slave. And he bent down and washed all their dirty feet. Showing us what we need to do for those relationships and those loved ones that we struggle with. Watchman Nee has a wonderful story about a man who he had in his ministry as a missionary. And he had top ground on the side of a hill where they grew their plants. And below him was another man who had the same kind of farm alongside this hill because land was at a premium. And this Christian man who had the top part of that land would water his plants early in the morning. But what his neighbor would do is he would come out and pull out the dikes that held the water into this man's plants and would water his own plants. And then the fellow who had the plants above didn't get any water. And what that man did, instead of in an anger and acting, he humbled himself, put himself before the Lord. And what he would do then every morning is unpull the plug and let all the plants of his neighbor get fed with water first. He would do it for his neighbor. 
And then plug it up and then he would plant, water his plants also. And that act turned that man to Christ because he saw the humility of that man in his dyke. And folks, this is what God calls us to do toward one another and to God is to humble ourselves and receive the grace and mercy of God that can work powerfully. You see, today, we are filled with pride. We all know it. MTV did a survey. And they went down into the streets and they also talked to celebrities about their attitudes toward the seven deadly sins. We know what they are, right? Lust, pride, anger, envy, sloth, greed, and gluttony. And Ice-T comes out and says, lust isn't a sin. These are all dumb, according to Ice-T. One young person thought sloth was just a, sloth was just a break at work. And they found that these young folks who they were interviewing were having a real difficult time, and even adults, at pride and grasping what that was. In fact, one celebrity, Christy Alley, our famed Wichita gal, she says, I don't think pride is a sin. In fact, I think whoever thought it was a sin is an idiot. She didn't know that she was talking to God about that. And then we look at some of the people who were very prideful or who struggled with their feelings. Bernie Matoff. I have a friend who during the time when he was living in New York, he got involved with several other of his colleagues and invested in Bernie Matoff's investments. And later on, of course, on December when, of, of 2008, when it all came crumbling down, and they found that it was a scam, and they lost thousands and millions of dollars. Even people like Spielberg and Larry King lost money. And it all came, according to his biographer, it came because he didn't have status. And he didn't have people paying attention to him. And he found that in his life he was good with numbers. But he was spurned and humiliated when he was a kid. He was rejected by girls he wanted to date. But he excelled at money and he did it well. And when he cheated, it even made him more prominent and gave him all kinds of things when he was spending people's money but sending them false reports. Until one day that house of cards collapsed. And he lost his family, he lost his wealth, and he lost his freedom because he went to jail for 150 years. In fact, the reason why I brought this up is because this past week, Bernie died in prison. And you see, the passage here comes to us and says, it doesn't come with pride and trying for you. It comes when you put others ahead of you. And in humility, God will lift you up. We saw this in Judas. You see, Bernie was telling everybody he was going to make them rich. 
He was feeding their egos of pride and telling them he was going to take care of them. How many times have we heard that? Sometimes we ourselves. And sometimes, like Judas, he acted like he cared, but did he really care? No, not at all. You remember the time when Jesus was getting his feet anointed by Mary? And he anointed, she anointed Jesus' feet. And he got all upset because he says, that's a year's wages, Jesus. Stop her. We could feed a lot of poor people as if he was worried about poor people. He was not worried about poor people. She was expending all that ointment that could go into his pocket as he was stealing from the disciples. And he was pickpocketing. But he made it sound like he was concerned for the poor. How many times have we seen politicians who make believe or they seem to care, but is it really just for the votes that they care and want to secure more votes? How many times have we found it in our own lives? How many times have you ever said to somebody, how are you doing? And then we hear how they're doing. And we're going, well, I didn't really want to hear all that. And what the Bible here is saying, we should be humble to listen to them and put our arms around them. Tell them we're going to pray for them or let's pray right now. That's what Peter's talking about here. And you see, not only is it imperative for us as Christians, but also it indicates how we should be. Because this is what God does. He says, therefore, connecting all this, when you humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, he will exalt you at the proper time. Oh, sometimes we get impatient, don't we, with God? I do. Moses, can you imagine? God took him... Put him in the greatest universities of Cairo for 40 years. Then because he murdered a man, he was put out into the desert for 40 years to learn the lessons of patience and waiting on God. And then finally he could do his job. He was ready. Joseph put in jail for 13 years and had to patiently wait for him to be ready. And God did that to prepare him so that he had the patience. And we see through all the Bible, there are people who don't follow the Lord and who don't humble themselves. One of the greatest stories that you'll read in the Bible of a person who didn't humble themselves was Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel? And he was so proud of himself and where he had come and he wasn't, he tipped his hat to God, but he never kneeled to the Lord. And one day he has a dream. And his soothsayers can't figure it out. And they call in Daniel. And it's about a tree that falls over and is chopped down. And Daniel tells him this dream and warns him for a year. 
Nebuchadnezzar, humble yourself before God. He's a consuming fire. Nebuchadnezzar, listen, God is going to make you that ugly stump if you don't watch it. Humble yourself. And finally, God had had enough. Because right after his speech, listen to him. If you want to hear somebody who is not humble, in Daniel 4, he's on the roof looking at the kingdom. And he says, is this not Babylon, the great that I have built? To be a royal residence of my vast power and for my majestic glory he is so full of himself and what does God do Daniel tells him he's going to make you wander in the front of the white house and be in the grass like an animal and chew your cud like a cow and for seven years that's what Nebuchadnezzar did he was the Howard Hughes version of so paranoid and, 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 and corkscrew fingernails and, and, and wearing just un, a diaper in his penthouse in Vegas. And here, Nebuchadnezzar's in the same thing. How great the prideful fell. You see, God hates pride. The Bible tells us humility is not a mere feeling. Humility is not to pretend that you're unimportant. Humility is an avoidance of glory. It's a true assessment of who you are and where it comes from. Look at what Romans says here. For through the grace given to me. Notice where it's coming from. Paul sees his abilities coming from God. I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think and to think so as the sound judgment. That means be truly aware of what God has given you, gifts and talents and abilities. And then he says, as God has allotted to you a measure of faith. You see, that's the key is that we don't put ourselves down. God's giving us these gifts, and we should realize them and not put ourselves down, but to truly realize what God has given us and give thanks to Him and use Him for God's glory. That's true humility. And that we do it for God's glory, that we're grateful that it's given to us, that this isn't something that we put together, but it's truly from God. That's humility. And when we do that, we realize that God knit us in our mother's womb to have the gifts and talents that we have and that we're dependent on God moment by moment according to Colossians 1. And that we know that these things that God has given to us are for his glory and they come, these gifts are perfect in what we need them for. And they come from the Father of lights. And the Father of lights means that he sees everything and knows exactly what you 
and I need. And you see, then we receive that peace that it's not us, but it's from God. And that we're able to put it on God and not worry about these things and grab a hold of them and hold on to them. But we have the peace of God as we're dealing with them and know that God is handling it all for us. And that's when Peter then comes and says, this is superlative. He says, this is so important now. This is high quality regard in your life. Humility. And when you have humility, you then are not afraid to admit your faith and that you have to trust God to put your worries, your anxieties, and your cares into the loving hands of God, your Heavenly Father. And you see, we know this is connected because, you see, this casting your anxiety on Him is really a superlative clause. It's a subordinate clause on what He said already about humility. And so when you truly realize it's from God and that it's not about you, but it's about him. You're not afraid to put it back into his arms and trust him with the difficulties of your life and that he will carry it for you and that the hindrance of casting this upon us, upon him, is your worry and your lack of faith of trusting him that he can carry it for you. You see, people who are filled with themselves and don't have that humility, they find themselves thinking that they're self-satisfied. They don't need God. And that they're self-sufficient. And that their pride makes themselves above their situation. And then when it collapses in on them, they don't know where to go. They don't know who to trust. They have no place to put it but on their shoulders. And, and, and pride has made them think that they don't need God. And they've aspired to the place of God. And they oppose even the very existence of God. Or, 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 or they'll have that foxhole faith. But they're really not trusting in God. They're just looking for a way out of their crisis. See, and the Bible says here, you are different. You know that it depends on God. You know that you can't carry these loads on your own. You have to trust someone bigger than you. And one of the great benefits of knowing the Lord is that he takes care of you. He has your future in mind. And he gives you courage when you have to face these crises in your life. You don't have to face them alone. 
And he'll give you wisdom as you face them. He'll give you the faith, the Bible says. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. He'll give you the faith to trust him. And see, it's all a matter of faith. Of giving it over to him and really trusting that he's got it. And you have to settle this in your mind. Are you going to trust God? Do you know that he can really handle it? Or that are you afraid that if you give it over to him and he handles it, he's going to handle it not the way you want and you're going to be angry with him or impatient because he's taken too much time? I mean, think about worry and anxiety. And why sometimes it chokes you and your faith. They did a study, and they found that people spend 14 hours, over 14 hours a week worrying. The normal person. Yearly. 744 hours is spent on worrying. That comes to over a lifetime, five years of worrying we do. And no wonder why we have problems with sleeping <laughs> and feeling under pressure and on the edge. And we find it hard to concentrate because we are so distracted by those worries. And it's just not one thing. It's a whole plethora of things that are bombarding our heads that we worry about. From kids to jobs to, to exes to, to, to future and to retirement and all that stuff that chokes us. It strangles us. And it displaces God. And we don't trust him. We find ourselves distracted from trusting him and what's really important. And look what Peter says to these folks who should be worried maybe about their loved one not coming back. Notice what he says. You make a definite act to cast it on the Lord. And that you release all your anxiety, everything that you're worried about, give it over to him. You see, because he's God. Put it on him. He doesn't worry about it. He doesn't have to. And realize that God cares for you and he wants to carry this load for you. The question is, can you trust him? <laughs> How many times do we struggle with that? And ask yourself theologically, do I trust that God is omniscient? He knows everything. That I don't have to worry a thing because he already knows it. Do I really believe that God's omnipotent, that he has the power to change my situation or do whatever he wishes? 
And do I trust him with that or am I afraid he's going to make it hard on me? See, Peter wants his people to really understand God. And that you can really leave it in his hands. How many of us sometimes will lay our head on the pillow and at night we've got this thing that's happened at work or this thing that's going on with our kid or this thing that's going on in our marriage or whatever it is and we lay there and say, okay, Lord, take it. And three minutes later, we're wandering in our sleep and we take it back. It reminds me when I was a kid. We used to go up to the Adirondack Mountains up in New York State. And I'll never forget the first time I went fishing. My dad was trying to teach us how to fish. <laughs> and he put, because I was the oldest son, my sister and mom did something while they were cooking, and he took us to a spot to go fishing. And he put the worm on the hook, and he said, Dave, now cast it. I cast it out there. And while he's baiting my brother's hook, I'm reeling it in already. He said, let it sit there. And I'm reeling it in because I'm thinking I'm going to get a fish just like that. Well, I drove my father nuts, and so did my brother. And he was even worse because he got the hook caught in the tree. And that was even worse. And we, kept, we couldn't sit still. He says, wait for the bobber to go like this. Then you yank it. Oh, no. <laughs> we saw a little wave go on. And boom, we we're pulling that baby right out. That's the way it is. And don't we do that with our anxieties and our worries? We give it over to God, and then we pull it back in pretty quick. And you see, until we truly trust him by faith and leave it in his hands, and truly by faith say, God, I trust you that you can take this problem and that you will work it and that we could go into a perfect sleep by trusting it to his hands. Steve, earlier, while we're waiting for service to begin, he played that beautiful song that we all know. And sometimes we need to remind ourselves by singing this in bed when we hand it over. Because Joseph Scriven said, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden? Cumbered with the load of care? Precious Savior still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who with all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer.
You know, Jesus asks us that. Do you think you, I love you? He does. I made you. Dave, I came for you. You don't think you can leave it in my hands, Dave? I died for you, Dave. I rose again so you could have eternal life. You don't think I can't handle this little situation, Dave? Don't you think I care? And I'm going to come again for you? Oh, we'll worry about health and we'll worry about retirement. We'll worry about going to a nursing home. We'll worry. And he says, I care for you. Don't you think I can handle it? This past week, in the middle school class, I'm teaching the kids on attributes of God. And one of the things... I was teaching them about this week is the eternal nature of God. But when you think of the eternal nature of God, it's hard to conceive what it means for God to be eternal. But if you realize that God is eternal and that time is a very short lapse and that God sees it from a totally different perspective. You see, all of time, from God's point of view, is that. It's beginning and an end. And in the midst of that, God sees from his eternal nature and your tomorrow, he's already seen. Your end, he's already seen. He's seen it from eternity. It's beyond our imagination that he already knows the end. He knows exactly what's happening in your life now and knows how it's all going to come out. Why? Because he's eternal. He looks at it from this eternal perspective and this is just time. Whoa. How is that possible? Because he's God and we're not. And what the Bible here tells us that we don't have to worry because he already knows it. Not only does he know it, he's seen it. He's already watched it play out. And he promises that no matter what happens, he's there for you today he was there for you yesterday and he's there for you tomorrow and into your end and into your new eternal home in heaven. And that you can live without fear and anxiety because he's got it and he's got the capability to have it. And that's why I want to end this sermon on this scripture because this is what God says to Israel about his eternal nature and knowing their future as he knows America's future and he knows our future. Remember the former things of the past. Past. 
He says, I am God eternal. There is no other. I am God. There is no one like me declaring the end from the beginning. He knows it because he's seen it from eternity. Ancient times, things that have not been done, saying my purpose is established. And God has a purpose in this whole timeline. We've seen it. You look at Romans, God's purpose was Christ's salvation, and Paul lays it out beautifully in his wonderful history of salvation in Jesus Christ through the book of Romans. And how we're to be sanctified now. And he says, my purpose is established. And he says, all that I intend in this time segment, I will accomplish all what? My good pleasure. And that's what God does. Both for my life and for your life and for all those who have come and gone. And he does it from his eternal perspective. Let's pray together. Lord, we just want to praise you for being such an awesome God. We can't even imagine what he, and he, you are like as an eternal God. We can't even imagine that you know everything. Everything about us, everything about the world, everything about all creation and beyond. And that you have this power to execute it and bring it about. And that you are the only one who deserves glory. We leave it in your hands right now, God. When we have anxiety, Lord, Help us to remember who you are and to turn all of our cares and realize by faith we can turn it all over to you because you have it and you have control of it when we have no control. Oh God, we come before you and humble ourselves and realize the blessings we receive when we do that from you, as you promised you would. And it's in Jesus' name I pray this. Amen. Let's close and stand together as we receive the benediction and then sing our closing song. And now go in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God your Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit now and forever. Amen.